This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer, which is where you can also find a link to our Facebook group where you can uh, interact with us in between episodes and uh, engage in polls and stuff like that, episode discussions. Um, anyway, if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results. And if you want to help support the podcast, you can... Uh, I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on obsessiveviewer.com and also in the show notes of this episode. Or if you want more rewards for donating, <laughs> you can become a patron at Patreon patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where you can choose from a bunch of different reward tiers like the five dollar make us say anything on the podcast of your choosing uh reward tier um any donations made will be will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running so we can continue to provide you with our weekly podcast content and so tiny um what are you doing october 14th um you know this year taking a half day Kind of relaxing and mixing all that's cool, shooting was, some b-ball outside of the school. Do you ever do that? A couple of guys who are up to no good. I don't. That's started not, making trouble in my neighborhood. That's not really what I was hey. going for. No, uh, I'm attending a, a very, very prestige, high-class A-list event. Okay, let's not oversell it here. <laughs> hey, let's. <laughs> let's. Um, and you're hosting it. With yeah. us, we are hosting... Shocked over in Irvington 3. That was such a disaster. My tuxedo is pressed. Are you really wearing a tuxedo? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's gonna, <laughs> that's gonna be interesting. Uh, anyway, tickets are on sale for Shocktober in Irvington 3. Uh, Shocktober in Irvington is a one night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers. And, uh, it's basically a night where we celebrate local talent, um, and interview the filmmakers on stage and also raffle off DVDs, Blu-rays, gift cards to Irvington businesses. Um, all of us to, being donated to the Irvington Historical Society. It's our third year doing it. We're really excited for it. And tickets are on sale now at shocktoberinirvington.com. Wow. <laughs> I just fumbled that. At shocktoberinirvington.com. Um, and as a special bonus for listeners of the podcast, you can get $1 off the price of admission when you use the promo code PODCAST1 when you buy your tickets. And I'm really excited for it. Um, it's going to be a blast. We've got a, we're premiering a Ghostbusters fan film. Um, and the, uh, Circle City Ghostbusters are actually going to be there with, like, in, in their costume and everything. Awesome. Yeah. My tuxedo has a cummerbund, not a vest, if anybody was wondering. That, uh, no one was. Vegas, <laughs> Vegas gold specifically is my accent color. Get ready. I mean, get ready. Be prepared. Again, you can find all of that at shocktobernervington.com. Anyway, um, and yeah, tickets are, we're getting a lot of ticket sales. Like, like today just kind of blew up a little bit. It was kind of awesome. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'm super, super excited for that. And hopefully we don't let everyone down. <laughs> <laughs> 
So today on the podcast, we're talking about detective movies in honor of it being our 187th episode. Uh, but first, we have one piece of news that we're probably not going to spend much time on, but I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't discuss it on the podcast. Um, so Tiny, uh, do you do you want to introduce the news? Like like say what the news was? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, basically, the Dark Tower TV show that was seemingly lost in production hell uh, is going is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Is going to happen uh, based on the language in the article that we that we read. Right. Um, which is tremendous news. Uh, it's huge, huge. Um, <laughs> I I mean I'm super excited for it, and and the the people involved and the the, the creative types that they talked to for the article. It seems like they want to start with like kind of the fourth book, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a background uh, uh, flashback book um, for those who haven't read the the series. Um, and it's it's really exciting. I, I think it's a fantastic place to start off with a series. I think they can continue on with what they've done with the comic books. Um, there's a lot of great content in the comic books. So it, basically, in my opinion, it's since they're doing the movies – I think this is the ideal situation for television is that they're going to mm-hmm. tackle the stories they are on the television show. Um, so like, like literally this is like the best case, like this is the best news that I could have heard regarding uh, the dark tower on television. Uh, I'm, it's, it's just amazing. I'm great. I'm really happy. I, yeah. Uh, okay. So it for, better be perfect. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. For background, um, the dark tower, obviously we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Um, the dark tower is, for me personally, it's it's my favorite book series. It might, I, I'm I hesitate to say this because it doesn't have the um, uh, the the time associated to this, but it might honestly be my favorite thing. Yeah. Just my favorite thing, and it's just it's so it's so, uh, I I love it so much. So Dark Tower is a is a seven eight book series of uh, Stephen King's that it's his magnum opus. It's he it's a western sci-fi horror um adventure. action adventure um series that just basically ties together so much of his of what he what his work is in his career embodies and so they're of course we're they're making the movie they've wrapped filming they're editing and they're they're in post-production now on the movie the dark tower which is set to premiere february 17th 2017 and so this news that they're going to have a tv show alongside it this comes from this is this is so refreshing and so exciting because a this was the plan originally uh, back in i think 08 um when ron howard was set to make it he was going to make a movie a movie series with um tv shows in between each movie um, set to kind of flesh out the backstory and, and the universe. And so Tiny and I, when we worked together, we would spend so many hours of our lives just discussing what it would mean to re, uh, to, to adapt this, this work. And, uh, like, yeah, when we talked about it, Wizard and Glass, which is the fourth book, which is the majority of the book is the background of, of the main characters, like childhood and his formative years. Um, and kind of how he became who he is. Um, that was always in my mind, that was always a, okay, this was what the TV series is going to cover. And what I love about it is that that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> 
And it's not only that they're going to do it. It's that, A, they're going to do it, and they said that they are going to stick a lot more to the source material than they are for the movie, which I'm not... I'm fine with with them going off book or anything, mm-hmm. but I like that they have it in 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 mind to you know keep it keep it as close to the book as as they can um, or more close to the book, and then also the fact that when we say it's really happening, we mean it's really happening. Yeah. Like the article, which is uh, on EW and written by Anthony Bresnikan, who is his coverage of the Dark Tower movie and the adaptation, everything and everything Stephen King is just ridiculously good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, he's the one that kind of championed that the Dark Tower be on the cover of Entertainment Weekly uh, a few months ago. And it's just it's uh, it's so it's so nice, it's so amazing. But anyway, so what we say, what we mean when we say that it's really happening is that. MRC, the uh, the company or one of the um, production companies that's co-funding the Dark Tower movie, they are they're committing to. <laughs> this is this is so awesome to say this. They're committing to a first season. Like yeah. they don't have like an outlet yet. They don't have a distributor, but they are funding the first season of the TV show, and that is just so just amazing because it's not like. It's not like someone is it's not like when when Ron Howard and and Brian Grazer had it and they were and they were in talks with Universal. It's not like it's not like Universal was it's not like they got a pilot order for the episode for NBC. This is like they're making it and then they're going to shop it around. And it's just mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yep. And uh, MRC is the production company who makes House of Cards. Yes. So they have a history with Netflix a very, very successful history with Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used the word ideal earlier, like the, the ideal scenario, I think the ideal delivery system uh, would be Netflix. Absolutely. I mean, I, which is kind of almost a selfish thing because like, I want to I binge the crap out of it in two days, like mm-hmm. take off days of work to binge it seriously. Yeah. And then watch it whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's great about House of Cards or anything that's released original content on Netflix is mm-hmm. you can just watch it whenever you want. You don't have to pop in DVDs. You don't have to have them with you or anything like that. It's it's always there, and and I, that's I I often I have the uh, the Dark Tower um, companion book, mm-hmm. which is essentially like an encyclopedia for the, the entire concordance. the concordance. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it, it's basically an encyclopedia for the entire universe mm-hmm. uh, that Stephen King created, and it's like it's like eleven hundred pages, um, <laughs> and it, I I have cracked that open several times just be like, what was this one character? Where did they first appear? And what was their <laughs> origin or whatever? And like. I think that'd be so cool to do with a TV show. Oh, absolutely! Just hop on Netflix and be like, "What did? It, what was this one line from this one episode?" And you just hop on there and find it and mm-hmm. watch it. And, that's the uh, one. That's the one. The one thing, and this is all early and everything. But what I, if it goes to Netflix, like I, I hope that it's. <laughs> the one downside to going to Netflix is that it doesn't guarantee that it will have like a, a meaty, Blu-ray release. It's true. Which yeah. I mean, I like my. My physical collection has gone down, or like my physical buying of of DVDs and Blu-rays has gone down considerably uh, recently with the advent of streaming services and everything. But, I mean, obviously that's, like, I make a point to buy the Game of Thrones Blu-rays because they are so filled with with content. Mm Mm-hmm. And like the, I've double dipped the extended editions of Lord of the Rings because those 
have just ridiculous amounts of count, yeah. content. And I just, I want, uh, I want, I want the Dark Tower to have that. But that's true. I, I would, I would enjoy that. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, so let's see. Uh, there was oh yeah, and just just really quickly, and we'll move on to our main topic. But um, it, it's <laughs> tiny. Okay, so so this news hit on. Um, they released the news on Stephen King's birthday, mm-hmm. uh, which was I think the twenty first of September. And, um, <laughs> it was like, I was kind of, I wasn't having a crappy day at work, but it was just kind of like, I just wanted to go home. I just, I think I had just gotten off like a really crappy phone call with someone and just, I was like, Oh God. And then like, I was going on my break and then I looked at my phone and I saw the tiny, you had sent me the link to it and I read it and I was like, like, it was just like beaming with, with happiness. Like yeah. I was smiling like an idiot. It literally almost made me made me cry like i yeah. i got a little teary i just just knowing that this is happening and, and you it was interesting for me because usually you're the one who's giving me news right or like i send you something you're like yeah i saw that already i'm like <laughs> um but no but like and, and what's awesome about this is they they created like a poster already yeah and it's it's a map of the location where the fourth book takes place mm-hmm. and just just to see that i'm kind of a map nerd it's mm-hmm. goofy um but just to see that I thought was super cool. All these, all these locations and different places that had been described ad nauseum in the mm-hmm. book to see them physically represented in a map was just like surreal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they put a famous quote over like, like that lays over the map. Um, yep. it's, it's really cool. Like it, it just further demonstrates their commitment to this. And it, it's, it's really mind blowing to me. Absolutely. And it's, um, the quote is let the word and the legend go before you. And, Oh, it's, it's so great. But, um, this is in keeping with what they've been doing each, essentially each month, um, for the dark tower is like on the 19th of each month. Um, which is a, is a number that bears some significance in the greater story. Um, but on the 19th of each month, they've released, you know, information like they've had Stephen King posted a picture of, um, (laughs) uh, the horn of Eld, saying uh one last time around i think <laughs> um and then like there was a like in i think september 19th was a a photo of um <laughs> uh tom taylor who's going to play be playing jake standing in front of a doorway in a in a set in a setting that is uh bears some very big significance to the series um especially in book 3 with the with his like that character's iconic quote right next to it, uh, go on their other worlds and these. Yeah. And it's just like seeing this, like I'm getting chills just talking about it. And I, it's to the point, like, I don't like, I, I know that I'm setting like <laughs> judging from past episodes on this podcast, judging from the history of the podcast, it seems like maybe I'm setting myself up for another interstellar thing. Yeah. But I don't care. It, Cause Me either. It's like this is this is it. This is this is my Star Wars. This yeah. is my this is my Force Awakens essentially. Uh-huh. And it's just oh, and it's so great. It's so exciting. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yep. It is. Yep. yep. <laughs> like I I actually had a dream. Um I think it was Friday night uh where like I like I just I had a dream where I went to see the Dark Tower in the movie theater like <laughs> and it wasn't like I went to see it it wasn't like I was watching the movie it was like the dream was me buying the ticket in the theater 
<laughs> and then seeing it on like the the, the little marquee thing uh, by the doors to the auditoriums in the theater. That's pretty crazy. It's so it's very crazy. Yep. <laughs> so look forward to February uh in the middle of February when I have a very uh disappointing experience. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I won't. And the, I'm sure we won't be disappointed in it. And it's like um it's just it's that's the thing. Like people get so hung up on the on the and I've said this before, so I'm just repeating old things, but people get so hung up on the adaptation. I am so ready for it to just be just the Dark Tower. I want it to be that world. That's my main concern. I don't care if it's close to the books as long as it's true to the books. And right. I have no, uh, I have no uh, qualms with it so far. So Me too. Yeah. So it'll be interesting when we uh, cover it on the podcast. Yep. So anyway, <laughs> having said all that, like I mean, we can go on for much longer for that. Yeah. Um, but and have, it, we have. We have. We have. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. Like next <laughs> month, they're going to have. They're going to release footage. We're going to have a full episode on it. I don't even care, Tiny, if you agree. <laughs> um, we just are. <laughs> but we must go on because there are other topics than these. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this week on the podcast we're gonna just dive into our main topic uh we're talking about tiny what are we talking about detective movies detective movies this is episode 187 of the obsessive viewer so we are talking about um detective movies because 187 is the police code for homicides right or something yes yeah yep sure um so yeah so it's very that was that was the idea. <laughs> so get get it. Do you guys get it? Do, do you get it? <laughs> God. So anyway, um, Tiny, what what to you makes a good detective movie? Like when you sit down and you're like, I would, I just want to watch this. I want to watch a, a movie that's about you know detectives, and it's a movie. What is your criteria for a good detective movie? Um, at first I was kind of thinking like mystery because I, I think that's what really draws people to these kind of movies is people just really enjoy mysteries and they, they like not knowing what happens, what's going to happen, what did happen. They like to guess about who did this or what this means. I think that's why people are drawn to the genre and the, the subgenre mm-hmm. so much. Um, <clears throat> but really, I mean, I think sometimes the mystery is only part of it. I, I think following a detective through their process is really fascinating because it's it's such an an undesirable job but it requires such an intelligent and like skilled person to pull it off mm-hmm. um i mean think think about like sherlock holmes he's the greatest detective of all time you know he was ridiculously brilliant and you know he these these crimes are the crime of murder is what most people consider to be the worst crime mm-hmm. that you can possibly commit. And so I, I think there's this, just the aura, aura surrounding the, the concept of homicide of, of murder. And, and people find that, that taboo very fascinating. And, and for me, it's, it's all those things mixed together. You know, I, I don't, I don't think you necessarily need to have, Oh, it needs to be a serial killer or uh, it needs to be, 
this person or that person. It can it can be a private detective. It can be a police officer. It can be an FBI agent. Or um, I don't think time period matters. I mean, you have something like you can have something like Minority Report, which takes place in the future, yeah. and but you can have something like Sherlock Holmes that takes place two hundred years ago. <clears throat> so it's it's a really diverse genre, and to me, it's to me it's really just about about the process that I find interesting, you know, the, the different ways that detectives detect, detect and, and, <laughs> and, and approach solving a murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll echo a lot of those sentiments. Something that I really like about the detective movie genre or the kind of noir genre, mystery genre, what, what have you is that it takes, it, it takes what's usually like really interesting characters, like really interesting, like the, the gumshoe detective or the, or the um, kind of dark, mysterious characters at the forefront of the investigations of the, of the mystery and pairs it with what is ideally a very engaging mystery and very um, interesting thing that is going to hold your attention. Even if it's a MacGuffin um, right. that is just, that is just a service characterization or, or what have you, it's still worthy of, uh, it doesn't take away from it because usually they have some really good characters, ideally. Totally. Yeah. Or they play with themes, or, or they 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 serve to uh, they're created to serve a message. And detectives so, usually, like the characters themselves, usually run the gamut. I mean, mm-hmm. you could have a really flawed detective who's like an alcoholic and beats his wife and just is a terrible person, but he has he has the drive to solve a murder, which is, you know, seen as like a moral thing, or you can have this absolutely clean cut by the book detective. Who's the, the polar opposite of that and really struggles with trying to find a way to get inside the mind of the person who killed this person. And Mm -hmm. because they're so clean cut, it just, there's an interesting spectrum of detective characters, I think. And a lot of times they pair those two archetypes up pretty Mm -hmm. well. And it's always to, to good effect. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna kind of work from um, a set list of detective movies. Obviously, we um, aren't gonna cover everything, <laughs> um, and we do have some gap movies that that um, we may address later. But um, there's this kind of a set list of detective movies. I kind of threw it out there um, to Tiny, and we kind of we kind of worked through what we wanted to discuss. Um, first of all, let's just dive right in. Um, 1941, Tiny. Yep. Do you want to bring this one up since the next ones are kind of going to be a brief one for me? <laughs> sure. Um, it's uh, 1941's The Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is famous for being a de- detective movie, but it's also um, – it, it kind of launched a new subgenre of detective movies or it made that, sh- that genre famous, um, noir uh, investigation movies or noir movies. Um, really took off in the forties and, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the Maltese Falcon invented the genre, but it kind of perfected it and made it really famous. This movie won some Oscars and, um, had some really famous people in it, Humphrey Bogart. Um, so the, the, the movies were, a lot of people when they think of noir or when you're researching or looking up what noir is, uh, this always comes up. Um, it, it really just launched the subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really famous movie. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, um, but I remember I remember being surprised at how well it holds up. Because 1941, you know, this is like pre like pre color movies, even mm-hmm. like this is an old movie, and 
you know, but it's part of what I mentioned, you know, in the introduction to this topic, it's, it's a very, it's a very timeless story because, you know, people have been getting murdered for a long time. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the, the story and the, the concepts involved with the story trans translate across, across time, if you will, which that's a weird way to put it, but mm-hmm. it just, it holds up really well. Um, When's the last time you saw this? Uh, the last time I saw this movie was about, uh, I would say probably about five years ago. Okay. And uh, and it's just it just holds up incredibly well. It's such a fun and engaging um, uh, mystery, first of all. But it's so much fun because Humphrey Bogart is just amazing in it. Like he is, he carries the movie so well. And every time he's on screen, it's like this is the type of detective that I want at the forefront of, of this type of movie all the time. Like it's, it's such a fun ride to, to watch him go through the experience. He, he's got this kind of this, I I don't want to say cocksure attitude, but it's kind of like this, this very, um, like he, like he knows the score. He knows what's going on. He, he, he can see through people's, um, through their BS or their lies. And it's just, it's the mark of a great detective on a screen or on a, in a movie because he's just, he's just so good at his job. And it's in, he's one of those like classic kind of private eyes that is just, it, it sets the, it sets a tone for the rest of the genre or of the detective movie subgenre. It's, it sets a tone for me personally that I just, I really enjoy. Absolutely. And <laughs> what's kind of memorable about the movie for me is uh, Peter Lorre, who I, I think I've, I've focused on more than Humphrey Bogart. Um, mm. He's a Hungarian actor who he was in a lot of Hitchcock movies and uh, he was in Casablanca. Uh, he was in M, um, a lot of a lot of famous movies from the 40s all the way through the 60s. Um, he's a Hung- Hungarian actor, but he, he, he has very distinct features. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he seemed to like always play a nefarious character or a villain or something and it's it's funny because you always know he's kind of the bad guy in a way or he's kind of a a sneaky kind of character but i just always love watching the guy and anytime i see him i i was i just always loved seeing peter laurie on the screen mm-hmm. um and he's delightfully creepy in this movie um so yeah i, I love peter laurie in this it's he, he's a fun villain usually so Yep, I agree. I need to. I need to watch this movie again. Me it's too. been. It's been too long. I love the uh, the poster they have. Is the picture on IMDb? Uh, this uh, one of yeah. the like catchy phrases or something on on the uh, poster. It, it depicts Humphrey Bogart holding two Colt forty fives, and it says a story as explosive as his blazing automatics, <laughs> which is such like a nineteen forties. That is so you great. know like phrase. That's funny. I love that style of of poster yeah. art too mm-hmm. there was um on a, on a bit of a tangent when i was at um there was indiana comic con uh back in i think may um there was a there was this artist who was selling prints of um modern movies or contemporary movies that like prints that were in the style of of that type of of art so like he had like a like back to the future and star wars just in that like kind of 40s 50s like noir or a kind of b-movie art style and it was really tempting to buy one but i didn't yeah that's a really lost art Mm -hmm. kind of the you know before trailers 
you kind of had to hedge a lot of your bets on the poster for a movie because mm-hmm. that's how people got interested in movies. It's kind of a, a lost art. Now it's all about trailers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which is something we kind of talked about a little bit in our fall 2016 movie preview episode, like the poster yeah, for um, for uh, other people. Uh-huh. Just super generic. Right. Just super dull. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so I'll go ahead and bring us into our next one. This is going to be a brief one because I, I haven't actually watched them in a little while. Or I watched one uh, a couple years ago. But um, these are I'm pairing them up because they're from the same filmmaker. They're from the uh, 40s. Or, no, the first one's from 1949. The next one's from 1963. There are two uh, Akira Kurosawa movies. The first is Stray Dog which is the one that I've seen most recently. This movie is about a rookie homicide detective who loses his gun or, or his gun is stolen from him. Um, so this is kind of of this list. It, it's probably only like my third favorite of the detective movies, but mm-hmm. it's okay. So, so it's from 1949. It's one of Kurosawa's like post-war uh, contemporary Japanese movies. So he is like, he's famous for his samurai movies at Yojimbo, seven samurai. Um, and he's, he's famous for his like feudal Japan movies. So with his, with his more contemporary movies, I feel like, uh, I don't know if they're underseen or underappreciated or, or what, but, um, not a lot of people, like you say, Kurosawa and you think, you know, Seven Samurai and those those other movies, Rashomon, mm-hmm. Throne of Blood. But Stray Dog doesn't really get much play, I don't think, but it's really worthy of it because it's such an incredible movie. It's, um, as I said, it's about a homicide detective trying to search for his lost gun, but it's so much more because it shows... Um, it shows what it's like for uh, what it's like in a in post-war Japan, like occupied Japan, and it's kind of plays with a sense of like themes of um, like losing your country a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and having to go through all of these all of these obstacles, like um, uh, all of these things that wouldn't normally be like that if if you weren't if it wasn't like right at the end of a world war. Um, and there's some really great um, – one thing that is kind of a trademark of Kurosawa is that he does a lot with weather, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a running theme throughout all, all of his movies. So this movie takes place during a very hot summer, and as the movie progresses, it, it switches over to like kind of a like rainy evening and rainy night. And it's just it's – hard, it's hard to explain, but I just – I really, really love this movie. It's – it's really engaging and it's, it's has a lot of subtext to it as well. And that's something that I greatly appreciated about it. Um, and it also has a, uh, I feel like it also helped influence seven a little bit because throughout the movie, it's the, the main character, um, played by Toshiro Mifune. Um, he is, paired up with a, with a veteran, like he's a rookie homicide detective. He's paired up with a, with a veteran detective who kind of takes him under his wing. Um, and it kind of, it echoes a lot to me. It echoes a bit of, um, the, the dynamic in seven. Um, so I don't know if, I don't know if, um, Andrew Kevin Walker, when he wrote seven, I don't know if he was influenced by stray dog or, or what have you, but it's a really great movie. Um, I believe it should be available on Hulu, um, I recommend checking it out because it's it's really it's a really great movie. Um, and then next up, this one's gonna be a, a little bit shorter. Um, 
and it's more of a just more of a crime thriller. I don't know if it would really fall under um, detective movies per se, but um, High and Low. Um, Tiny, have you seen any of these movies, by the way? I haven't seen either of these, no. Okay. Um, so High and Low is a 1963 Kurosawa movie, also starring Toshiro Mifune. Um, it's about an executive of a shoe company. Um, he becomes a victim of extortion when his chauffeur's son is kidnapped and held for ransom. So this movie is really, it's available to rent. No, 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 I'm not going to say that. Okay. This movie is really great at showing the, again, it's another kind of contemporary Kurosawa movie. It's really great at showing the class, like the different class system or the, or the, um, like the upper class, like more, um, rich person in, in the dichotomy between them and like the servants or, or the people who serve them. And it, sh- it showcases that type of socio economic or socio political, what have you, um, dynamic. And it's, it's really, it's really engaging and I haven't seen it in a while, but, um, it's really good. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite of Kurosawa's, but it's definitely up there. Nice. Yep. Um, so yeah. Um, do you have anything to say about those? No, I, I'm okay. definitely gonna need to check them out. I know I own one of them. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> it sucks having my DVD collection in the garage. <laughs> right. That is that is a bummer. Yeah. Um, let me see if that's on um, Hulu. But it's funny because as a slight tangent, first of all, anytime I bring up Kurosawa, I get in my head because when I was a teenager, I was such an obnoxious, pretentious douchebag about it. Yeah, so, you were. I really was. Um, high and low. (laughs) Let's not, let's not get carried away here. Um, no, but, um, high and low is on, is on Hulu, which it's funny because just as a brief aside, um, it's part of the Criterion collection and we talked about Filmstruck a while ago. You remember that tiny? No. Okay. Well, Filmstruck was the, (laughs) um, sorry, I don't remember. No, you're fine. (laughs) It was a brief thing. It was a new segment. Um, but I think it was early summer or late spring, but they, it's a Filmstruck. It's a, it's a streaming service that's supposed to be premiering in fall, fall of this year. And one of their big things is that it's partnering with Turner classic movies and it's going to have the entire Criterion collection and it's going to supposedly Hulu is going to lose the Criterion collection and Filmstruck is going to have it on their streaming service. So it's a lot of like prestige or, or, um, art house movies and classic movies. But I don't know when that's going to happen. So if you have Hulu and you're interested in watching Stray Dog or High and Low, check it out now because they might be disappearing from, uh, Hulu. I don't know. Gotcha. Yep. So anyway, so, so tangents aside and everything, uh, Stray Dog and High and Low are great. Check them out. Um, Tiny, do you want to bring up the next one? Yes. Uh, 1971's The French Connection. Uh, yes. This is a movie famous for a car chase. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of its claim to fame. But uh, I, I think it kind of was integral in some other ways because this this was kind of one of those first like uh, narco investigation kind of movies that kind of, you know, kind of gave rise to shows like Miami Vice or movies like blow like mm-hmm. like we like uh i mean any number of drug investigation type movies or stories or um this this movie kind of tackles the influx of the uh, heroin trade in new york city um and it it's it's kind of a it's it's interesting to watch because you know narcotics investigation was kind of in its infancy at the time um and and to try to see, you know, these detectives how to figure out how to investigate this and, and, and what to, uh, 
you know, how to go about it was an interesting process. Um, it also shines a light on like the, the corruption and kind of the, uh, uh, use of force, the, uh, basically the violation of people's civil, people's civil rights, um, and how the NYPD was, was very brazen with that, uh, during certain time periods. Um, you can reference the movie Serpico, mm-hmm. um, kind of tackles that issue. And so it's, it's it's disturbing to see those things, but it's also kind of fascinating to to, to to take a peek at that culture and how it was a very accepted thing back back in the time, back in these days when this investigation was taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a really cool movie, and and you know Gene Hackman was really popular at the time, and um, he's a great actor. It's it's really it's kind of fun to watch him kind of just be a dick. <laughs> um, it's it's a cool movie and. I, th- I think it should be famous for more than just the car scene or the car chase. I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff in this movie to to uh, to enjoy. So it's it's like I said, I think I think it deserves a lot more credit than it gets. It's it's a cool movie. I agree. I haven't seen this movie in a quite a long time, actually, so I can't really say that much about it. But um, I mean, it's it is it is a really great movie, <laughs> yeah. and it's one that I I plan to revisit fairly soon and i wish i would have had time to uh revisit it before talking about it uh talking about detective movies on this episode but um but yeah i have fond memories of it i watched it in high school i think for the mm-hmm. first time and it was it was one that kind of stuck with me quite a bit yeah it's uh the remastered version they released on blu-ray is a really good really good remaster nice. it's i actually own it it's uh it's it's a they did a really good job remastering it. it's nice very nice yeah cool um, so yeah, that's the French connection. And, uh, next up, we're going to just dive into 1974's Chinatown. And this movie is, again, it's one I haven't seen in a long time, but it's stuck with me over the years because, I mean, it is, I mean, it's very well regarded and it's, it's celebrated as having a very great screenplay. Like the, the actual, it's, it's, discussed in screenwriting books just uh, about how great it is and like that kind of iconic twist um in it is is kind of uh really really uh fantastic um i won't spoil it or anything but i just i really love it and jack nicholson is fantastic uh for those who don't know chinatown is about a private detective hired to expose an adulterer finds himself caught up in a web of deceit corruption and murder which plays up so many great aspects of of the detective movie genre mm-hmm. um and it's just it's it's perfect uh I, I really love it and i need to actually buy it me too um, yeah it's a shame i don't own it uh tiny uh, what do you think of chinatown uh it's it's a classic for a reason and it's it's on not just like top 100 movies of all time lists but like top 20 of all time lists and it's on there for a reason it's one of the best movies ever made i think mm-hmm. um i what i appreciate it what I appreciate a lot about it from a detective standpoint is that it, it really demonstrates how you can really fall down a rabbit hole essentially. And it's like, if you follow the right pieces of information and the right clues, you think you're just investigating, you know, an adulterer, which is how this starts. Mm -hmm. Or you think you're investigating a missing person or, uh, something, you know, a murder, but really you find out, Oh, it's about, uh, one of the most powerful men in town, 
committing a murder and this guy's involved with a, a ring of conspirators who control the entire city of Los Angeles and it just turns into this whole conspiracy and it's it's a far-reaching uh, thing that you tap into and it's like you know the, the detective doesn't know how to go about tackling this and you know he doesn't know who to trust and how deep does this thing go and that's that's what really stuck out to me about this movie it starts out with such a simple adultery investigation and it turns into a regional conspiracy essentially mm-hmm. um it's it's a really it's just the the evolution of that story is really fascinating um it's really a shame that uh roman polanski is such a scumbag because <laughs> right. um, he makes a hell of a movie mm-hmm. um and this is this is his best work i think I and mean, i don't think a lot of people would agree with that um he he's he's a really good filmmaker but he's also an a-hole right um but yeah chinatown's just it's just a classic movie and this is when jack nicholson was at his peak and mm-hmm. and it's if you have not seen it go see it right now just, just go buy it you'll you'll want to watch it again absolutely great movie um yep i agree and like i said i'm gonna have to check it out again and buy it yep um, so Tiny, do you want to bring us into the next one? Absolutely. Uh, this is 1995 uh, which I submitted to our vault in a vault episode. That's right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, reference that episode, please. I, I gushed over this movie. Um, I, I feel like this movie just, it's one of those movies that just sticks with you. I think there's, mm-hmm. there are so many people out there. It, it's very polarizing because I, th- I think there's so many people out there who've seen the movie one time and never want to see it again because it absolutely decimates you. Uh, but then there's other people like myself. I've probably watched this movie at least a dozen times. Um, which is crazy because it's, it's one of those movies that you have such an adverse reaction to because it's so Mm -hmm. off putting and it's such a terrible thing. And it's really not, it, it's, it's not a happy movie. I mean, there's not really good things that happen in this movie. It's, it's very depressing and dark and sad and and terrifying and the thing is i think a lot of people find entertainment and find uh i I don't know find out things about themselves when they explore those kinds of stories um other people just don't understand it and they they like to you know they like to have a laugh when they watch a movie or, or whatever and and this seven is kind of the polar opposite of that um, you're not going to feel good when you leave the theater or when you shut it off. It's it's going to make you think, and it's going to it's just hard to watch. And it's it's hard. It's an experience you go through. It's not just a movie. Um, you're not just enjoying a story. It's it's an experience that you have. Um, and th- th- there's so many good things to point to in the movie. It has an incredible script uh, written by uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, um, and it has this incredible visual style to it um everyone most people are probably familiar with um david fincher he has such a such a filtered look at his his movies always have a certain filter to them Mm -hmm. and and i think that's how he makes them unique while still having his own style um and and this this movie i think really introduced that concept about david fincher and i think he really i think he really found himself as a filmmaker with this movie um it's just, I'm sure most people have seen it. I mean, it's like, you know, you're probably familiar with this. I don't need to describe what happens to you. It's, it's about a serial killer who chooses his victims based on the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all you need to know. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, again, check this movie out. I think it's, 
I, I think it's, I don't know if I'd say it's one of the best movies ever made, but I would have no problem with putting it on a top 100 list. I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I put it in our vault. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just my opinion, but I, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's just a really incredibly crafted movie. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and that, that was in OV 38, by the way, into okay. the vault two, which it's funny cause just brief aside, um, that's the episode where we announced, uh, obsessive like announced it being oh, okay. a thing. Mm-hmm. And we also teased, uh, the secular perspective for the first time. Uh, oh, wow. So anyway, interesting. Um, but yeah, seven there, it's just, it, yeah, I think it's my favorite movie on this list. Wow. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's like you said, it's it really sticks with you. There are images and concepts in that movie that will, uh, that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's just, oh, just, it's, it's incredible. And it pairs up, um, two really great, uh, first of all, two really great actors, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. um, as two kind of opposing, not opposing, but they're, they're two, uh, they're two detectives that are very different, um, different methods, different methods. And it's that pairing is so great. Uh, Somerset and Mills and just the way that that, cause it's, it's not played up like a, uh, it's not the, there's the right amount of drama between them. Um, and the right amount of conflict. There isn't that much conflict. Like, I'm not saying that they're at each other's, uh, throats the entire movie, but, there are different methodologies and there are different methods and the way that the way that Somerset is kind of um, guiding Mills through uh, what what is like what is his last essentially his last week before his retirement Somerset's um, and he's kind of guiding Mills through this new this new division that he's in and everything and it's just the little like bits and pieces of just um, cop things or, or police things or. Uh, um, detective things really like I'm thinking <laughs> about when like when like uh Somerset just gets the library records for for a potential sub uh, suspect or they or they check it. It's kind of an under under the um uh, under the table kind of thing because it's you know kind of um not really legal yeah the way that they do it but it's just like one of the, like those types of leads those little those little instances of a character using their position and using their um history of the position and knowing knowing how to kind of navigate this investigation is just something that I kind of eat up all the time when when I see these types of movies yeah because it's it's just it's great world building it's it's great at showing showing us what type of world these we these people live in and it it informs so much of the characters seeing them like know know their way around a crime scene or know their way around certain things and also showing them at the crime scenes like i don't want to i don't want us to go off of seven without talking about that because there are some scenes where they're they're just kind of investigating they're like there's a dead body with a face and a bunch of spaghettios and yeah just the imagery the imagery in this movie is just outstanding it's it is the worst kind of art (laughs) because <laughs> i mean like i mean it's it's inc- it's the the crime scenes are works of art and and mm-hmm. that's an awful thing to say but they really are that's what they are and it's it's effective because it sticks with you and you have you you can't see one of these crime scenes and not react to it right everyone who's seen them is either sickened or fascinated or both it's 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 a form of taboo that i i used that word earlier um it, it's 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 really surprising that like this movie exists because 
I mean, just just imagine trying to shop this movie around to movie studios and telling them what what is involved. And if if you see this movie, there is not one there is not one scene in the entire movie that's like, oh, that's pretty or that's nice or that's mm-hmm. lovely. Everything is dark. Everything is gritty. Everything is covered in a film of like despair it's just and okay, we're not selling it very well because it's <laughs> it's just such a dark movie that's, really that's just it's just the nature of the movie and, yeah. and the th- like i'm i'm one of those people who finds that unbelievably fascinating and and i think it's i think it's an incredible um an incredible universe or like an incredible mm-hmm. uh situation in which to tell a story it's 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 not something I want to experience, mm-hmm. but if someone else has to experience it, it's amazing that I get to watch it or, you know, see how how that happens again. The process the detectives go through, like how do you how do you process something like that? You it's just like it's beyond human comprehension to to see something like that more than once and and be able to go home and go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. It's it's just one of those kind of movies that. It just sticks with you, and you, you know every, everyone who sees it probably has a very, very memorable and uh, precise reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that there are not a lot of movies like that. I mean, there's it's it's very unique in that respect. Absolutely, yeah, I agree completely. Um, do you want to bring us into the next one? Absolutely, uh, 1997's L.A. Confidential. Yes. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's another another story that kind of tackles the corruption of mm-hmm. Los Angeles uh, in the the first half of the 20th century, um, which is based in some truth. Los Angeles was a very very corrupt city for its first couple decades of existence um, before it really took off. Um, and LA Confidential is just kind of it's 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 a very fun kind of movie. Like it's mm-hmm. it has a very um, a very Hollywood feel to it. And like, like a, it, it, it feels like it's produced, but like in a tongue in cheek kind of way, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to uh, explain that way. Um, it's kind of tabloidy too. It has that kind of tabloid <laughs> feel to it. And that's mm-hmm. one of the main shticks of the movie uh, through Danny DeVito's character. He's the, the editor or something or of a, of a local tabloid. He um, kind of hush hush. Yes, hush hush. Yeah. He kind of introduces us into the world. Like is is Yeah. He has the he's opening a, he's narration. A narrator. Yeah. yeah. And it's just that I mean that's a perfect piece of uh just, you know, uh, storytelling device to put in there cuz it, it it just sets the mood so perfectly. It does, yeah. Um it's it's worth mentioning worth mentioning Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> We should we should mention uh <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> oh my god, Jesus! Um, no, but we, we should mention first and foremost that director of uh, *L.A. Confidential*, Curtis Hansen, actually just recently passed away uh, l- last week. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. He directed *L.A. Confidential* along with Eight Mile*. And, uh, it's an interesting combination. It is. It is. I always, I always thought it was the only reason I know that, like offhand, is just because it was always interesting to me that Eight Mile was directed by the guy who made *L.A. Confidential*. Right. Um, yeah, he also made *Too Big to Fail*. But um, anyway, so so that's that's 
that's uh, too bad because LA Confidential is fantastic. This might be my second favorite of the of the list after seven. It's up there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish they would have picked a different actress than Kim Basinger to play that role. I don't. I just don't think she's that great of an actress. Yeah. I didn't really like. I mean, because the character is hugely integral integral to the story and mm-hmm. could be a fantastic character, but with Kim Basinger at the reins, I think it was a very uh, uh, it, it just could have been so much better than than what she did. I'm just not really a fan of hers. Yeah, it's funny because reading the trivia, director Curtis Hansen stated that Kim Basinger was the first and only choice for the role of prostitute Lynn Bracken. Jeez. Um, not only that, but she actually turned it down three times before finally accepting. Wow. And uh, at the time, and this is this is pretty interesting. She hadn't been she hadn't had a movie since 1994 and hadn't had a hit since the original batman in 1989 Mm -hmm. and uh so this was a big comeback for her but the part was small and the movie was actually a disappointment a box office disappointment yeah um interesting but she eventually had her uh her her comeback right but um, what I love so much about this movie is that, first of all, the, the plot is a corruption as corruption grows in 1950s L.A., three policemen, one straight-laced, one brutal, and one sleazy, investigate a series of murders with their own brand of justice. And what I love about it is that it takes these three characters, these three central characters, um, played by uh, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, and Guy Pearce, and they create – what's created in this movie are three incredibly well-rounded um, or three dimensional characters that all have their own, their own specific style and the way that they intermingle and mix together, um, throughout the movie is just so interesting to me. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier when talking about how a great detective movie will pair up, um, people who wouldn't ordinarily make a good team or be good on paper. And then it's just them working a case together is a great way to showcase their different um, methods and their different thought processes and everything. And that's a way that a movie can have a lot of fun with with writing, with, with the screenplay, with the characters, because you have these people that go about things different ways coming together to tackle a something that is oftentimes out of their out of their range or out of their um well, I guess out of the range, um, out of their scope of their, the scope of their abilities. And it's them, the team of them working together to solve it is, is what's, what's so strong. And what I love about this movie is that these three characters are really effective and they're really strong. Um, yeah. Um, and, and just the, the aesthetic of the fifties LA mm-hmm. is just so great. Like, the way that this movie just looks is like, it's like that tabloid skeezy scuzzy fifties, um, dirtiness, the griminess without Mm -hmm. being like, like a gritty police drama. It's, it's like this, this kind of, uh, Hollywoodized griminess, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, you're taking something that's gritty and grimy and you're trying to make it look nicer than it is you're trying mm-hmm. to c- cover it with a coat of gloss and make it look nicer than it is perfect yes it's perfect it's the ho- hollywood is a hollywoodization if you will mm-hmm. which is not a word um but it, it that's that's what it is and i know exactly what you're talking about exactly and it's vo- it's very tongue-in-cheek in this in this uh in this instance because and it's just 
it fires on all cylinders. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the the story, the actual mystery is really engaging. There's some really interesting turns in the plot that I didn't see coming when I when I saw it. Um and just uh I love it. Even the like the kind of gun battle at the end um is like really thrilling, like really well executed. Yeah. Um yeah, I I love it. Uh I love this movie. It's uh LA Confidential. So, yeah. One of my favorites. Me too. Yep. Okay, so next up Tiny is 8 mm and you have more of an affinity for this movie than I do. I I watched it for the I think first time with you when I was kind of like super tired, mm-hmm. but um, it's from 1999. And why don't you take us through what makes eight millimeter so great? Um, this is the second uh, movie penned by Andrew Kevin Walker that we've mentioned on this list. That's right. And the third time I think we've mentioned him, um, this, he obviously he has an incredible affinity for tackling very dark subjects um, and making, something that's so dark it's almost mythic uh making it accessible for a a regular audience not to say that he dumbs things down or simplifies things or panders to an audience he just makes them accessible and Mm -hmm. i don't know how he does it it's really impressive what he's capable of doing with something so dark and like so untouchable something that people don't even realize is something that exists and the subject of this movie is a a, a snuff film Mm -hmm. and snuff films are they're almost like a myth like a myth like a mythical thing like you you can ask a million people around the world if they've ever seen a snuff film and anyone who tells you yes is probably lying and (laughs) anyone who tells you no doesn't even realize that it's a possible thing that could exist um for those who don't know, a snuff film is a film where a real person gets killed, like someone actually gets killed. It's not a simulation or you know a film trick. Someone mm-hmm. actually is murdered, and someone films it for public consumption. And and that's that that is like just one of the most disturbing things I can imagine that someone would want to see that, and that that would be a a pleasurable thing. Uh, it's it's sort of snuff films are associated with like pornography and and it's 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 beyond taboo but it's close enough to taboo that people associate it with pornography and apparently people who do enjoy snuff films there's like a sexual gratification with that i don't know i don't don't understand it but this movie dives into that world and it's it's not it's not it's not really something I wanted to know about. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't think most people do. There's tons of people who would just like, I'm not going to watch this movie because I don't, I don't want to know about that world. I don't want to look at it, even if it's just a uh, fiction, you know, I, I can completely understand that. Cause this is, it's like I said, it's, it's not taboo. It's beyond taboo. It's just wrong. It's, it's morally incorrect. And I, there's no argument. I, I can't understand why <laughs> this exists, but it's, it's a really fascinating movie to go into that world. And, and the most fascinating thing about it for me is Nicholas Cage's character. He plays a private investigator who's hired by a, the widow of a multimillionaire, maybe even a billionaire. Um, 
uh, because she finds a what looks like a genuine snuff film on an eight millimeter reel in a safe after her husband dies. So she hires him to investigate it to see if it's an actual thing or what happened to this girl. Is this a real snuff film? Um, and and what's so interesting about it is that Nicolas Cage's character is entering a new phase of his life. He's married and he just became a father. He has like a newborn baby. And this investigation requires him to go on the road and literally immerse himself into the universe of like underground pornography and the potential universe for a snuff film. Um, and, and that's, it's, it's a really fascinating juxtaposition to see him wrestle with, you know, the fact that he's a, a loving husband and father on one hand, but he needs to pretend to be this guy who's interested in seeing and finding a genuine stuff film. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating to watch him go through that journey. Um, there's also a remarkably good cast in this movie. Um, Nicholas Cage, uh, great actor. And then, uh, James Gandolfini before he really blew up with, um, Sopranos, uh, Peter Stormare, another one of those actors who's so can just be so, off-puttingly creepy uh he's he's a really dynamic actor i i love him in everything he does um joaquin phoenix an unknown joaquin phoenix is in this movie he's a scene stealer he's actually a bright spot of comedy throughout this movie um nice. i think i think it's some of his best work he's really good um anthony held who's a character actor that you've probably seen a hundred times um really good creepy guy as well um uh, some other notable people, Catherine Keener. Um, that's about it for the for the cast. There's some other people I don't want to spoil, um, but it's 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 a really great cast, and everyone. I'm just amazed at how well everyone fit into their roles, given mm-hmm. how again beyond taboo this subject is. Um, right. I, I hope I didn't go too far too no, deep with that, but that was great. It's, it's just I I I think. I can totally understand why why no one would want to see this movie because it's so it's so <laughs> disturbing. But at the same time, it's it's an inc- again it's an incredible medium in which to tell a story, an environment to tell a story. It's it's really fascinating that someone can build a story like this in their mind and and express it and turn it into a script and a movie. It's mm-hmm. it just really fascinates me that this movie exists. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. Um. I haven't seen this movie in a while. Um. Like I said, and um. I I remember being just really engaged with it and from the story perspective. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's one of those movies that I really need to revisit. And uh as a brief tangent, have you seen the movie Snake Eyes? I have. Yeah. Cage? yeah, I have. I kind of want to do like a double feature of Snake Eyes and 8mm because mm-hmm. they both involve detectives and stuff. I don't know how yeah. tonally they um match but that's my input on that <laughs> gotcha the movie's also notably directed by joel schumacher mm-hmm. he had no business directing this movie oh, yeah. um, i think mm-hmm. he did a good job i think i think it's arguably his best work mm-hmm. um but uh david fincher would have just the movie would be almost unwatchable because mm-hmm. it would be it would get under your skin so much i think if he had made it it would be like nc-17 and just like i think he was originally supposed to direct it. was he okay yeah yeah it, it would be even better if he had done it i think so right. it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a good movie if you're the right kind of person, I'll put it that way. Right. Yeah. If you're as messed up as tiny as you'll love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's beyond macabre. Right. <laughs> okay. We'll start kind of winding down a little bit on the topic cause we're going a little long. Yeah. 
Um, next up is 2005's Brick from Ryan Johnson, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This movie, holy crap! I watched it recently. Uh, recent when I say recently, I mean like about a year ago. Um, rewatched it recently, I should say, and just it's this is a movie that can be super off-putting to people if they're not really sure how to uh, get into it or mm-hmm. what they're expecting. Um, it's a Ryan Johnson movie. It's about a teenage loner. I'm going to read the plot description from IMDb. A teenage loner pushes his way into the underworld of a high school crime ring to investigate the disappearance of his ex-girlfriend. And this movie stands apart from so many other movies, um, of uh, so many of its contemporaries that it has the, um, the dialogue is so uniquely like classic film noir and it's this weird hybrid of of um weird hybrid of of like kind of current movie or di- type of dialogue and um classic noir it kind of invents its own kind of language it's it's a really interesting and it's like it's it's interesting in that the entire world of like everyone talks like this in yeah. this movie and it's and i can see how it can be off putting for some people, if they're not really expecting it, but when you go in with that expectation and you know that that's what they were going for and, and you know what you're in for, it's a really interesting movie and it's the performances are freaking fantastic. Yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt is unreal. Um, and, and I just love it. And there's some great, like, little detective moments. Like, Joseph Gordon Levitt is in, is in the trunk of a car and he, um, uses, like, he, he uses just, like, little, um, little tricks to figure out where he's, where he's going. Yeah. Um, remembering like the, the route and everything just so he doesn't get lost when he's being abducted in the back of a trunk. Right. Um, just really, really great movie, really fun stuff. Um, tiny, what do you, what do you think of brick? Again, a really brilliant idea for a movie. It's, it's the juxtaposition that really brings it home and makes it a one of a kind movie because you have the juxtaposition of a, What's essentially a crime syndicate, which is a super adult, mm-hmm. scary kind of thing, but you mesh it in the universe of a high school and a bunch of teenagers that are dumb. Right. It's it's a really it's a goofy thing that shouldn't work, but you know because uh, the writer director Ryan Johnson is so brilliant and is such a great storyteller, mm-hmm. he just wove these two universes together in such a satisfying way. Um, I agree. It's it's a difficult movie to find. It's hard to find an in. It's it's hard it's hard to like work your way into the universe as as the viewer. The first time I saw this movie, I didn't. I think I shut it off <laughs> because I borrowed it from you on your recommendation, and like I bar- I borrowed the DVD oh, from you. Yeah, yeah, and I had it, and I gave it back to you like the next week because I was like I I couldn't get into it, dude. <laughs> and then I saw it in college, and I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Right. It's it's such it's such a cool movie, and it's so. You've never seen another movie like this. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you think a detective movie and a a noirish investigation movie. You've seen, you know, a hundred of them and you know what you're going to get, but you really don't with this. It's, it's so fascinating and a few times it's hilarious <laughs> and it's really dark and, and kind of disturbing at other, at other moments. It's, it's such a unique movie. And, and I agree the cast is just out of this mm-hmm. world. Uh, Nora Zaitner as well was one of the, like kind of the female lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was really good in this as well. Um, Lucas Haas, great, yeah. great actor. Um, this the, again, a super unique movie, and and I think a lot of people don't know about this movie, and and that's a shame. It's mm-hmm. it's a really, 
really fascinating entry in this genre, and I think people should see it. Absolutely, and it's so awesome that the director is now making Star Wars Episode Eight. Yeah, he's really worked his way up. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Yeah, um, rightfully so. He's awesome. Oh, absolutely, he's I fantastic. I love Ryan Johnson. Oh yeah, his work on Breaking Bad is just unreal. Yeah, and I, um, I was a big fan of Looper. As me well. too. Me uh, too. Like that movie a lot. Absolutely. Um, so let's see. We should kind of rapid fire the the rest. Yeah. If you want, um, do you want to bring up Gone Girl? Or not yeah, Gone Girl. Gone. Be- <laughs> Do you want to bring us into the next one? Do you want to bring us into the next one? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Up next is 2007's uh, Gone Baby Gone. Uh, directorial debut of Ben Affleck, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, cast his little brother in the main role. Um, and this is based on a novel. I, the the uh, author's name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, but he's... He made a handful of wrote a handful of books about like being a private investigator, mm-hmm. um, and they were pretty successful and and really good novels from what I understand. Um, this is another one of those movies that has just like a a monumental cast: Michelle Monaghan, Casey Affleck, Ed Harris, Morgan Freeman, uh, Titus Welliver, Amy Madigan, Amy Ryan, uh, nominated for an Oscar in this. Michael Kenneth Williams, who we're big fans of. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible cast in this movie. And everybody was just off the charts good. Um, I thought Michelle Monaghan's character was a little limited. Um, but she was still involved in the story and integral to it in a way. Um, this is this is a really cool movie. And it's, again, kind of standard. You know, it's a, it's a missing child investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a private investigator who's clashing with the police. You know, those are kind of... Uh, classic tropes for this genre, um, but again, I think I think you have uniqueness through the setting, and and uh, I, I think the the character is pretty pretty cool and and very, you know, he has he has a lot of lofty ideas, and he uh, he he is an idealist, uh, which is a pretty it, it plays out very interestingly at the end, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that's that's what set this sets this movie apart and you know it's again it's an it's it's an environment we're familiar with and uh it still manages to set itself apart that way i think i think the characters really really take this movie to the next level there's also a twist mm-hmm. which is it's, it's a well-done twist i think oh yeah um it's a really good movie and i, I mean ben affleck did a great job mm-hmm. on his on his first shot you know really strong debut yeah uh, directorial debut absolutely and i love casey affleck in this movie yeah. i really do um i think a lot of people didn't realize how good of an actor he was same here or, or, yeah i agree before this movie yeah yeah um it's ba- it's based on uh the the novel gone baby gone by dennis lehane thank you there we who go. he wrote a bunch of episodes of the wire as well he was a writer oh, on the wire awesome i didn't know that yep and uh it's part of the kenzie Gennaro series of novels just pri- private eye novels okay. which I remember seeing Gone Baby Gone and thinking like, man, I hope that uh, they make more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they make more of this series with these characters and everything. Yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning that that uh, Ben Affleck's next movie, uh, Live By Night, um, is is an adaptation of another Dennis Lehane movie. Cool. Or novel. Not part of the um, that Private Eye series, but um, it's about prohibition era, era crime, which okay. obviously I'm a big fan of. Did, did um, he write uh, Mystic River as well? He did. I thought so, yeah. Yep. Um, and Shutter Island. Wow, okay. Oh, yeah. Dang. Um, really, like, man, I really want to get into his, get into his, uh, his novels. Yeah. And, uh, and, and read some of his work. 
But um, Gone Baby Gone is is a really strong detective novel. I I really like how kind of unproven Casey Affleck feels in uh, as the private eye. Like he he's got a chip on his shoulder. He does, yeah. yeah. And he's he's kind of this. You kind of get the sense that he that he has the, like he doesn't he isn't like the the know it all kind of like um, Humphrey Bogart uh, type of private eye. Yeah. Um, from Maltese Falcon, he's the he's the he's a guy that's kind of like I said, kind of proving himself and and trying to prove himself that he can that he can uh, succeed. He kind of stumbles through the investigation. He makes a lot of mistakes and stuff. Yeah, and that's again, that's I, I've I've mentioned this before. How I'm I'm kind of almost weary of those characters that are like flawless. Mm-hmm. Like I, when we were talking about Jack Reacher in right. our uh, 2016 rest of the year uh, episode, like. That's who he is. You know, he never makes a mistake. He's perfect. He's an right. incredible marksman. He's all this, all these things, and he never makes a mistake. But it's it's. I think what makes characters more interesting are their flaws and their Absolutely. shortcomings and idiosyncrasies and and his character in this movie is definitely one of those people. Um. So yeah, I think I think again that's what the characters are what makes this movie really good. Absolutely. Um, and so let's just, uh, let's start to kind of, I keep saying this every time I switch to the topic. <laughs> um, we have a couple more to go through, uh, just really briefly Zodiac from 2007, another Fincher movie, mm-hmm. really great at depicting the kind of procedural aspect of it or, or the one thing that we haven't really discussed that much when, when talking about this topic of detective movies is one of the kind of defining characteristics of them and something that is embodied pretty well, very well in these last two movies that we're going to discuss. But the idea of the detective or or the person investigating the crime, um, the nature of obsession. Yeah. And Zodiac has that so, so great. It 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 works that so well. Um, So Jake Gyllenhaal is a a cartoonist in, in San Francisco at the time of the Zodiac murders and just, I love the fact that he is this kind of, he's so consumed with this, um, this drive, this obsession with it, that he becomes his own little amateur detective on the case. And it's, it's something I just, I adore about this, about this type of movie is that the, the investigation, the story, the, the, the mystery surrounding the, um, what the, the crime that's happened becomes such a focal point of a character's life that it just consumes everything and uh, threatens to destroy their personal relationships and it could come at the expense of their lives. And, uh, and just Zodiac was, um, a really great, really, really great, um, uh, depiction of of that and what it takes to be a detective or, or be an amateur detective, um, hunting down clues and, and, investigating a crime absolutely yeah and also mark ruffalo trying to you know strike a balance between trusting this complete novice who's a civilian trying to thrust his way into this investigation basically Mm -hmm. and also being a you know a cop with integrity and stuff like that it's that's a that's an interesting exploration i enjoyed in this movie um my favorite scene of this movie involves uh john carroll lynch who's become one of my favorite character actors he was stunning in this movie. There, there's one scene in particular where he's questioned that I 
I had no idea what I was watching. Like he was, he was so, so enigmatic during that scene and just like unpredictable. And you didn't know what he was going to say next. And it's like, he incriminates himself, but he doesn't. And it's like, he's just a normal guy, but he's not, he's really ambiguous and creepy. And I was absolutely stunned by John Carroll Lynch in this movie. He was, he became one of my favorite character actors after I saw this. Absolutely. Um, it's, it, it's just, I, I echo everything Matt said. It's a really mm-hmm. good movie and unfortunately underrated. I don't think a ton of people saw it. It was critically acclaimed, but not a good box office, I think. Yeah. When, when you kind of talk about David Fincher, which at some point we'll have to do a retrospective. We have to, yeah. But um, when you talk about David Fincher, Zodiac doesn't necessarily seem to come up that often. It's no. always like Fight Club, Seven, Gone Girl, or, or you know. Social Network. Social Network, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Zodiac kind of gets, not maybe not cast aside, but it's, uh, it's, it's deserving of more praise than what it gets. Agreed. Yep. So do you want to round us out for this topic, Tiny? Absolutely. Uh, our last one is... Uh, Prisoners from 2013. Um, we talked about this mostly, I think, in our uh, end of the year discussion, I think, I want to say, um, for 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all we all held it in pretty high regard. I think it made the top 10 of maybe all three of us for that year. I think so. Um, so I think, I think that's when we talked about it the most, our, our 2014 wrap-up. Um, this movie is, again, very underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um Really good cast. Ironically, also stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> this, I, I don't know why this movie didn't take off. It's really a shame. Um, mm-hmm. the, the director is the guy that I can never remember his name. Um, Dennis Villeneuve. There you go. Dennis Villeneuve. I couldn't think of his name. Um, but it's a, a movie that came out that was really underappreciated. Uh, and it's really a shame because this has, it's, it's a, it's a very, the story meanders in very different, very different ways and, and, and highs and lows. Uh, there's lots of peaks and valleys to, uh, you, you think you have everything figured out and then you don't, it all comes crashing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a lot of kind of moral or ethical gray areas throughout the movie. Yes. Um, it's really, it's really interesting to explore those and, and they, they go to some of the extremes, uh, with this movie and, and it's, it's really cool to watch. You have a lot of every men who are thrust into extraordinary situations mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, and I think that's what, that's what makes it really good. It's also visually really oh, just visually feast. I mean, it's, it's really impressive for, oh, yeah. for just a detective movie. You wouldn't expect so many cool, like so, so much cool camera work and, mm-hmm. and filters and, and angles and the, the color palette is very basic, but somehow pretty rich. I, I can't really explain. I can't really explain that, but it's just it's an interesting dynamic they had with the colors in this movie. It's it's incredibly well done. Absolutely, I agree completely. And I, I it's a movie that I need to revisit. I haven't seen it since I saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's what I love about it is it it takes like you said it takes uh, ordinary people and puts them in extraordinary situations, and it just it's it blurs the line of of like right and wrong and, and, and what's it struck with certain characters, um, humanity and how they, how they kind of lose their humanity, um, in the process of, of pursuing justice. It's, it's a great depiction of that. I absolutely loved it. Um, 
So yeah, so that's prisoners, and we'll we'll kind of uh, wrap up a little bit here on the topic with a quick rundown of some of the things that are uh, some listener feedback or or uh, what was so basically on uh, yesterday I posted on the Facebook page or on the Facebook group a poll for what a, what's everyone's favorite detective movie and why um, uh, seven one hands down mm-hmm. um, and then LA Confidential was second and then we got some interesting um, inclusions on the uh, added into the poll there was a uh, fallen by Matt and Draco uh, uh-huh. he, he threw that on there uh, shaft was also added Fargo um, so we got some good responses there, and I'll just read through some of the uh, comments we received. So Matt and Draco said, "I'm not 100% sure that Fallen with John uh, with Denzel Washington and John Goodman qualifies as a detective movie, but I think it's close enough and obviously the best choice." Which have you ever seen Fallen? Tiny? I don't think I have actually. It's I I remember seeing bits and pieces of it when I was a kid, but it's just. It's such an intriguing concept. It's like I'm gonna look it up real quick and then, okay. um, yeah, it's uh, the premise according to IMDb is a homicide detective John Hobbs witnesses the execution of serial killer Edgar Reese. Soon after the execution, the killings start again, and they are very similar to Reese's style. Wow! So the movie is essentially the spirit of the of the serial killer kind of embodies like just random pedestrians. Hmm. And it's just, I remember thinking that's such an intriguing concept and such a thrilling concept. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and check that out. Me too. Yep. Um, and then longtime listener Yasmin uh, commented with, Prisoners is actually my favorite, but Zodiac is brilliant too. I love the cinematography in both films, and Jake Gyllenhaal is also great in both, which I definitely agree with. Uh, uh, frequent guest Robert Feckus uh, said LA Confidential without a doubt not a bad performance from anyone in the cast and the feel of 50s LA is so well done love this movie and never get tired of it um, and then let's see oh <laughs> Brandon Yotter from Billion and Brandon Watch Movies and Synapse Productions uh, he asked if Silence of the Lambs or a Bond movie would count huh. um, which I thought was interesting and it's funny because the, the rest of the comments kind of fall into similar kind of things uh we debated on adding Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. um, but I think on its sheer technicality, it was more of a thriller about an FBI agent, so it's not really detective. It fits better um, into other genres. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, Bond is just a spy movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I like where, I like where Brandon's head was at with yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then to round it out, um, Chad from The Secular Perspective said, um, why is Harriet the Spy not on the list? <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, Matt and Draco also responded with Spy Kids. <laughs> so I think we need to do a spy movie Oh, episode. totally. Yeah. There's some great ones out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So once again, you guys can check out the Facebook group. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. You'll find a link to the Facebook group there. Um, and so that does it for this week's main topic for detective movies. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and go into potpourri before we do that uh by the way potpourri for the first time listeners is the section of the podcast where we wind down the topic or wind down the episode and talk uh, about just stuff we've seen lately or things we're looking forward to and then uh kind of end things uh wind it down and uh, <laughs> before we go to that here's a here's a promo for shocktober in irvington which once again is october 14th at the irving theater here in indianapolis in irvington um shocktober for more details and uh thank you to jp luck for creating this promo for us 
Tickets are on sale now for the third annual Shocktober in Irvington presented by the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Join the hosts of the Obsessive Viewer on October 14th, 2016 at the Irving Theater for a one-night event screening of short horror films, including the premiere screenings of J.P. Lex The Roman, the latest entry in his cross-medium elsewhere world universe, as well as the latest slasher from Snapshot Productions and Billy and Brandon Watch Movies. All of this and so much more. Come celebrate the horror genre in the historic Irvington area and get a chance to meet the filmmakers with live interviews after each screening. You can also win DVDs, Blu-rays, and gift cards to Irvington businesses. Tickets are on sale now at shocktoberinirvington.com. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. And we will see you at the Irving Theater on October 14th. That is, if you dare. Okay, so thanks again, JP, for that. And we look forward to seeing everyone at Shocktober Irvington 3. So, for Potpourri this week, Tiny, I have two things and you have two things? Yeah. You have two things? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so, I'm going to get us kicked off. Kind of in the, sim- in the, in the same vein as uh, our main topic, which we could also, at some point, we'll have to revisit detective movies and just do like det- uh, TV detectives. Um, right. For sure. Totally. Um, and so, it kind of falls into this category. I've been watching the TV show Bosch. on amazon yep which by the way amazon instant amazon prime instant has a really great selection nice like really really fantastic and bosch is a show it's an amazon original that i brought up on a previous episode of the podcast i just watched the uh um, pilot episode but I didn't watch any further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went ahead and just, I was in between shows. So I went ahead and jumped into Bosch and watched the entire first season. And I'm now three episodes into season two. This is a really, really strong detective, uh, cop show. Mm-hmm. It's got Titus Welliver as the title character of Bosch, who is this kind of, kind of hard nosed detective or this kind of, um, kind of like gruff, tough guy kind of guy. Um, and what's really great is that the stories in each, in each season have been really interesting and engaging. Uh, they're based on a series of novels by Michael Conley, um, that have been running for a long time. Um, so the first season kind of is centered around this, um, this murder case of the, of these bones that are recovered that were, that were, the kid died 20 years ago. So it's a cold case. And so what I, what I really loved about it is that it went through, like, it didn't become just about that case. Um, it became this kind of game of cat and mouse between Bosch and the police department and, uh, this criminal who may or may not have something to do with that crime. And it's just, it's really fascinating. It's, it's a really strong first season for, for a detective show. And I highly recommend checking it out. Um, it's got some really fantastic actors in it too. Nice. Um, yeah, Jamie Hector, who played Marlo Stansfield in uh, The oh, Wire, cool. he plays Bosch's partner. Um, and then also it's <laughs> as one of the so so like detective TV shows they kind of have or cop shows always kind of have this kind of like it seems like they always have this like kind of token detective or pair of detectives or kind of like 
kind of like the B team <laughs> um, <laughs> or like they're kind of like background characters or background detectives that they don't really do much in the, in the background or in the forefront, but they're kind of there to kind of add, add, um, add characters to like the bullpen. Okay. So, um, so anyway, there are two, two characters in Bosch named <laughs> their nicknames are crate and barrel. They're nice. a pair of detectives. Um, but what's funny is that one of them, and this was almost distracting to me because I Rick, I recognize one of them from somewhere, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But it's like one of those times where an actor's like cadence and the way that they talk and the way that they move and the way that they carry themselves, like really like, like it sticks with you. And it just made me think like, I've seen him from somewhere. And when it clicked with me, it was like, it was almost like I couldn't take, I couldn't separate him from this role that I know him from. He was the guy who played, um, Luther in It's Always Sunny, uh, Max Dad. The I don't oh. blink. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's that funny. Yeah, and it's so it's so cool to see him as just a detective. Um, but it's just like in the back of my mind, I was like, it's it's a creepy, super creepy guy, an intense guy from It's Always Sunny. Um, but yeah, so so Bosch is a really great show. I highly recommend checking it out. I'm three episodes into season two. Um, it's a it's a new case. It's a new story. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff. Also, other actors that are involved in it. Lance Reddick plays kind of the he plays the deputy chief. Um, who he's just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, there's a really great subplot in season two involving his son, who is uh who's who's a police officer in in the in the show. And it's in in his season two arc. Um, he's interacting with the, the guy who played. Uh, uh, I think it's, is his name John Ransom? He played Ziggy in The Wire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's his name. Yeah, which he's, and he's phenomenal. Like he's, oh, yeah. he is outstanding. Um, so yeah, so I highly recommend checking out Bosch. If, if you haven't yet, please do. It's on Amazon Prime, 10 episodes per season. Really strong show. I highly recommend it. Nice. Yep. I definitely want to check that out. I love Titus Wallower. Oh, he's, and he's phenomenal. Nice. It's so great to see him in just a leading role like this. Nice. That's, has so much depth to it. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, well, kind of a running theme here. I, this was unintentional, but I wanted to give my final thoughts on the miniseries The Night Of, uh, which concluded like a month ago. I meant to bring it up sooner in Potpourri, uh, a more timely, uh, better timing a couple of weeks ago, but just other things I wanted kind of popped into my head and I wanted to talk about them then. So, um, But I wanted to address this because I was blown away by this miniseries. Yeah. It was so, so, so good. Nice. I mean, HBO already holds the throne for miniseries because I think even after watching this I think Band of Brothers is the best miniseries ever made yeah um, and HBO has f- several other good ones in John Adams and mm. the Pacific and they just really know how to do a miniseries and I've I've heard people on the inside talk about how that format is really going out the door mm-hmm. it's really hard to make money off of it um, and so we don't really get that many miniseries anymore um, it's much easier for them to just make a movie or something. So right. um, I, I was kind of surprised that this actually existed, that someone actually made this. Um, but now I know why, because who the, the, the writers for this uh, just absolutely nailed it. Steven Zalian is one of the main writers. He's a, he works with HBO a lot. Um, it, this, this is just an, an incredible exploration of the criminal justice system. Um, it, it's, it, it goes, from the very beginning all the way to the end, um, I'll admit my bias in that I, I have a degree in criminal justice and I wanted to be a police officer for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I'm 
automatically fascinated by this stuff. Um, but I think most people would be intrigued by this show because it's, you know, it's, it's a real thing. The criminal justice system is something that everybody knows a little bit about. And it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's sort of a mystery to a lot of people. Um, and I think this series really demonstrates how, how flawed it is and how it's kind of a broken system. And it's not really about, we, we see, we see the words justice and truth as sort of synonyms of one another, but mm-hmm. they really, this, this series shows you how they have nothing to do with each other. Um, justice is not about finding the truth. It's about, it's about conclusion. It's about getting through it. That's all it is. It's not about finding the truth. And, and that's the unfortunate state of our criminal justice system. And this series shines a light on that. Um, like I said, it starts from the beginning. You have a guy who commits a crime and it goes all the way to the end of his trial. Um, nice. so it's, it's like an entire adjudication of a, of a, of a crime, of a case. And a, a lot of shows and movies, you don't see that. It's not, it's not cut and dry. It's not the entire picture, but this, mm-hmm. you get every single thing. It's you, you get to see what it's like to be arrested and, and, and discussing things with your lawyer, um, how police will try to trick you when you're being investigated, how they will, um, kind of play with the line of what's ethical and what's actually legal. And, you know, there's kind of gray areas and they, they really even, uh, very respected detectives will play with that line and kind of cross it from time to time. Um, it's about, they, they depict what it's like to try to just survive prison. You know, there's this kid who's on trial. He's not even, he hasn't been convicted of anything, but he's in jail for months and months and months. And he has to try to find a way to survive that people Mm. die every day in prison. And it's really, it's an awful environment to be in. And this kid who's presumed innocent has to survive that. And it's, it's about how he has to find it within himself to, to get through that. And it's, it's an incredibly dark thing and it's, it's, it's depicted really well in this. Um, also the back and forth between defense attorneys, prosecutors and investigators is it's it's like a dance. It's really just it's it's really disturbing to me that the nonchalance with which these people deal back and forth with each other's with with people's lives. You know, you're talking about the well-being and the livelihood of this kid essentially this 22-year-old kid who committed who's alleged of committing this crime. And they talk about him like he's a bargaining chip and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really disturbing thing, but you know, you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes and understand why they act that way. And it's, I I think it was a pretty scathing indictment of the criminal justice system, which is a sentence I used a handful of times when we talked about making a murderer. Right. Um, I think, I think this, this mini series is a great, fantastic double feature between making a murderer and the night of because one is a true story and it's a documentary this is a this the night of is a like a dramatization of that and it's it explores every facet of what it's like to be submerged into that subculture and it's it's just it just nails everything on the head and i'm i was just blown away by this miniseries the the detail of it is just beyond impressive um i really recommend that everyone sees it it's um eight episodes is that what it was i think it's eight episodes Mm -hmm. um the last one's about an hour and a half but all the rest are 50 minutes to an hour um it's it's fantastic um 
I didn't mention the cat. I mentioned the castle last time I talked about it. Riz, Riz Ahmed in the, in the lead is, is fantastic. Bill camp is the lead detective. Uh, really incredible. Some of John Turturro's best work without question. Nice. Um, it's just, and it, be like everything about the miniseries was just on point. I, I can't recommend it enough. Nice. I'd give it like a nine point eight, nine point nine out of ten. That's how oh, good. Wow. That's how good Holy it was. Crap. I mean, it's like I'd hold it in the highest esteem, highest esteem. Basically, it's it's phenomenal. Very cool. So yeah. that's the night of, and it yep. is currently on HBO Go and HBO Now. Um, I am definitely planning on watching this very soon. Um, it's kind of on my radar for what I'm going to watch after I finish Bosch season two. So don't really, don't want to cross streams, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. literally cross streams because streaming <laughs> nice. on Prime and, and HBO <laughs> Go. That's funny. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really excited for it, uh, to watch it. Um, so my next potpourri and, uh, this will be kind of brief I, I guess i went to the theater and i watched blair witch cool yeah so this is a movie that i kind of championed for us to review but i got vetoed and, and shot down yes you did in favor of snowden which is fine <laughs> um so i went to see it and in for some background for me the found footage genre is a movie genre that i I once revered, I really, I really loved, um, paranormal activity was, is, and was one of my favorites, um, horror movies of, of the, uh, last decade or so. And, um, and I just, I just loved that, that concept for a movie. Um, and it all started with, it all started in the mainstream as for, with Blair Witch and their very inventive, uh, marketing strategy. Or Blair Witch Project, I should say. So when the Blair Witch Project came out, I loved it as well. It's always hit a bit of diminishing returns for me every time I see it after that now. But it's still like that original experience I really loved. I, I love that it ushered in this this whole subgenre. So seeing Blair Witch, I was consumed with this feeling throughout about the halfway mark to the end. I've I've had this overwhelming feeling that, you know... I love the found footage movie or the found footage movie genre. And this is a great movie to just say goodbye to it forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not that Blair Witch was a bad movie. It it really wasn't that bad. Um, There are just some, there are some things that are kind of, I wasn't too fond of. Like the movie is about um, the brother of um, Heather from the first movie going into the woods of Burkittsville, Maryland to try to find his sister. Uh, 20 years later, or find out what happened after some video footage is recovered um, and, and they go into the woods to investigate. So one thing that this movie does kind of kind of cleverly, I, I guess, is they introduce new technology. Um, they have a drone. They have um, these <laughs> these cool like Bluetooth headsets that have cameras in them that like the technology I'm sure it doesn't exist, especially not in that level of that quality of, um, uh, video quality. But I mean, it's, it's a clever little gag to, to let them have kind of more conventional filmmaking of, of, you know, shot on, on one person and then showing the the next person cutting to the next person. So it's not as shaky cam and, and disorienting. So I thought I, I appreciated that. Um, but, Beat for beat, this movie follows a formula and 
it's very disappointing that Adam Wingard, who Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett, who made Your Next and The Guest, two movies that are very effective and very, uh, very effective and very, um, very much a meld of sub- subverting their respective genres and paying homage to them. Um, like Your Next being a home invasion movie, The Guest being kind of this 80s thriller, um, action type of movie. Um, so those movies pay tribute while also, you know, kind of subverting your expectations of, of those genres. So going into Blair Witch, I kind of thought like, okay, wow, they're going to do this for found footage and, and like straight up horror movies like that. And I thought that's going to be great. Didn't do much of anything at all no, with dang. it. It was such a, it was such a letdown. Um, didn't do much of anything. There's some clever things here and there. There are some, there's some things that worked for me later in the movie, but for the most part, it just it just did not have an effect on me the way that I wanted it to, and I just kept thinking like we've seen pretty much everything we can see that's that's um, that's worth seeing in the found footage genre, and this is just it. That's I'm I'm not gonna get excited about a found footage movie. I'm gonna kind of just part ways with it, and if a found footage movie comes out, that's that's that looks cool. I'll check it out, but it's not gonna be. The found footage is not going to be what gets my ass in the seat. Gotcha. So yeah, I agree. I think it's a little played out. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's reached, it's gone as far as it can. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The <laughs> we. I mean, we've seen a superhero movie with Chronicle. We've seen. I haven't. I haven't actually seen this, but Project Greenlight or not Project Greenlight, but um, uh, what was the time travel movie one? Um, it used to be like Welcome to Yesterday or something, but they rechanged it when they uh, had it in theaters. Project Almanac. Um, Project Almanac was a time uh, yeah. travel movie. They even had the stupid one night party movie with uh, Project X. Project X. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, like, the only thing we haven't seen that I can think of is like a romantic drama or romantic comedy, mm-hmm. which that might get me excited to see. Yeah, see I'd one. be I'd be intrigued by that. Totally. But that's about it. And uh, and Blair Witch just wasn't effective for me. Yeah. Well, the horror genre kind of beat it to death. I mean, Definitely. you know, a- action and comedy maybe could still have some legs, but yeah, horror, mm-hmm. horror found footage is done. Yep. In my book anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Blair Witch wasn't, wasn't that, wasn't that, uh, great or effective for me. Gotcha. And also like some of the character interactions, like there is, there's not much there for, on a character level. Like there's kind of this hot headed, hot-headed character who's hot-headed for a reason like they like they're in the woods with this guy who's i appreciated this this guy who is kind of a it's shown that there's conflict between the guy and and the guy that they're in the woods with because they meet the guy at his house and he has like a uh um um uh uh what is the confederate flag Okay. And so it's like, it's just like a subtle, like, oh, this guy's racist and the other guy that's part of the group is black. So there's going to be animosity between them. Um, and it's just more just, just the guy that's part of the group. The black guy is like, just, just doesn't want any of his crap. And like, he, like, <laughs> and he's not like, he's not like an overt racist or anything. He's just like, he has a grudge against him from the start. And that has some very effective, um, conflict between them. But then, but that's about like we don't get much else about any of the characters really. We know that one is the brother of uh the girl from the Blair Witch project, but then like their first night that's re- it's I think it's revealed that he's dating one of the girls that's that's in the group, but it's not set up that 
it should be a mystery or that it should be anything worthwhile, but there's dialogue that kind of makes it seem like it should be like this, uh, like, Oh, they're being secretive about it, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, it's, it's really kind of a mess and it's, it's, it's a, it's a disappointment. That's a shame. Yep. Yep. So that's Blair Witch. It's in theaters now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tiny, do you want to round us out for Potpourri in the episode? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really wanted to, to very briefly mention my, uh, opinion of Green Room, which I watched nice. over the weekend, uh, and Matt championed quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, when he brought it up uh, several episodes ago. Uh, bold statement: I think it's right now my movie of the year. Really? Like I think right now it's in my number one spot. Very nice. I, I don't. I doubt it'll stay there, but it's probably going to be a top three, top five of the year. Um, the movie was so just like. Uh, so visually immersive and so visceral. I had a physical reaction to it. I I was physic. My stomach was upset by the time I finished the movie. Like that's <laughs> and that's not a normal thing. I don't even with like gory movies like the movies we mentioned tonight, seven and eight millimeter. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen to me. Uh, I I was physically ill at the end of this movie, and <laughs> in the best way possible. I I hope. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier, if you're listening, I mean that as the highest compliment possible. Um, the movie was just so, I've said this again several times tonight, but you've never seen a movie like this. This is such a unique movie and it's a simple, it's simplicity is what makes it so good. It's just about these people trying to survive a situation and it's, it's a very, a very simple premise, but the, the dynamics are, are really unique and it's, I it's it's just such a cool movie and it's the it's just you you don't really know what's going to happen next. You know there's going to be a lot of action, there's going to be uh some people are going to die, some crazy shit's going to happen, <laughs> but you just don't know exactly what it's going to be and mm. I I was just absolutely blown away by the movie. Um I loved all the the cast um Patrick Stewart's never even tried to tackle a character like this. He's so good. He is. And he's such a, like a leading kind of guy. And Mm -hmm. he seems so like, like pure and good as a person and all the characters he's ever played. And he's just this horrible villainous, incredibly vacuous, empty, horrible person in this movie. And it's very threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Very threatening and calculating, Mm -hmm. very calculated and sees all the angles it's it's just not what you would expect from Patrick Stewart at all, and he just knocks it out of the freaking park. Um, Absolutely. The late Anton Yelchin, I've never missed him more. Mm-hmm. Uh, his death really sunk in when I saw it because I was like, we're never going to get to see him do this again, and it's really a shame because he was just great. Yeah. Um, I I can't. I just the movie. What happens in the movie is so crazy. I can't imagine the conversations that Jeremy Saulnier had with the actors, like. So, uh, in this scene, I'm going to need you to get your hand chopped off. Um, you know, it's just like, how do you have these conversations with these actors? How do you right. put this on paper and have people try to do it? It's just, it, I'm really amazed at what they achieved with the movie. Um, and I think Jeremy Saulnier just needs to take, Saulnier, I don't know how you pronounce his I name. I think Saulnier. Saulnier, okay. He, he just needs to take off like a rocket ship. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's the next, like, P.T. Anderson. David Fincher kind of director, Ryan Johnson kind of director. I Mm -hmm. think he's going to reach that level within the next five to 10 years. And he absolutely deserves to. 
I absolutely agree. And I, I, I gushed upon uh, Green Room and back in OV-168. And yeah, I, I agree completely. It's such a great movie. And it's so amazing because, and I think I may have mentioned this in OV-168, but um, what's great is that he he was riding high off of um, um, Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. So when Blue Room came out, he got just a ton of offers from big studios to tackle like really like he like he was, you know, he was in. But yeah. he chose to make Green Room instead because he knew that he couldn't make that movie the way he wanted to make it inside the studio system. Right. So it's just it's amazing to me that he that creatively he had the forethought to think like, OK, well, I want to do what I want to do first and then and then just dive in. So I'm excited to see what type of work he does in the future. Cause he seems like he has such a great head on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing to me and it's inspiring too, that he sunk in his entire, like everything, everything, his entire life savings, his credit, everything into making blue ruin. And now he has green room and now he's, he's, he's going to go places. Absolutely. Um, and he's fantastic. I, I love, I love both of his movies. Yeah. Um, as a result of it, I, I just like jumped immediately to his IMDb just to like mm-hmm. read trivia about the movie and about him and everything. And uh, he has three feature films, uh, Green Room, Blue Ruin, and his first major feature film was uh, called Murder Party. Right. I've never seen it. There wasn't really – you could watch it on, I think, Google Play had it. Um, and so I, I went to Amazon to look at it and the DVD was like $6. So I just bought it Nice. blind, bought it. Um, I, I got it in the mail today. I'm going to watch it pretty soon. And hopefully in the next few weeks or month or so, I, I can report back, uh, on potpourri, uh, about my thoughts on that movie. So sweet. Yeah. I very much look forward to that. Awesome. All right. So that about does it for this week's episode of the obsessive viewer. And, uh, Next week, Tiny, I think we're going to do a Netflix picks episode. Yes, sir. Yep. And in honor of it being episode 188, um, we are each going to, we're changing up the Netflix picks style a little bit. In in episodes past, we would take a random number from our Netflix queue uh, and watch them um, and review them for the podcast. But in honor of it being the 188th episode, um, not that there's that's any milestone at all, <laughs> but we're going to watch the 188th Epi- uh, movie or show that's on our Netflix queues in that spot. So, um, Tiny, what is your number 188 Netflix? Uh, mine is the movie Antichrist by Lars von Trier. Very uh, controversial movie. I don't even know a lot about it, but I know it would not be played in a lot of different places. Like, countries around the world actually wouldn't allow it to be shown in theaters. Very controversial. He is a really... Uh, interesting filmmaker a very um uh i don't even know how to describe him but <laughs> the stuff of his that he's that i've seen he's he's one of a kind kind of guy so i'm nice. looking forward to it sweet um i'm looking forward to your thoughts on that and i might try to watch it too but i, don't, I can't make any guarantees okay but my number 188 on netflix is a documentary <laughs> nice such is life <laughs> um, with these Netflix picks for me. Um, but it's a documentary that is uh, one that I've wanted to see for a long time. I've never gotten around to seeing it, and I finally have an excuse to watch it now. Dear Zachary, um, this is a documentary that I, I'm i glad that I don't know anything about it because apparently it's one of those documentaries that it's best to go in not knowing anything because you're going to bawl your eyes out. 
You will. So I, I did. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Nice. I uh, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll have that next week on the podcast. And uh, once again, check out shocktobernervington.com for tickets for Shocktober Nervington uh, here on October 14th. And also, I haven't mentioned this, but check out my solo side project podcast, Anthology, where I'm reviewing uh, bonus episodes, reviewing Black Mirror each episode. And uh, it's still going strong. So uh, check that out at anthologypod.com. And Tiny, is there anything else that we need to cover? I do not believe so. All right. Well, in that case, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks again for listening to episode 187 of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Um, I'm going to just throw out a couple quick um, announcements here in this uh, little uh, section here. So, once again, October Normanton, October 14th. Um, and I'm very pleased to announce that we just got a new... Uh, prize for it. Um, if you come to Sharktober Normanton, you could potentially get a uh, 10 pack of Heartland Film Festival tickets. It's a pack of 10 Heartland, Heartland Film Festival ticket vouchers. Heartland is a great film festival that's going to be going from October 20th to the 30th this year, and it's, it's fantastic. I really uh, love it. So, very excited for that, and we'll also we'll also be giving away um, we'll also be giving away DVDs of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, the entire Saw franchise, The Shining, Trick or Treat, The Collector, bunch of stuff, and uh, also speaking again about Heartland Film Festival, if you go to Heartland, if you're planning on going to Heartland Film Festival and want to support the obsessive viewer, um, what you can do is when you buy your tickets online at HeartlandFilm.com. Uh, what you can do is enter the, enter the promo code obsess 16 and every ticket that you buy for Heartland Film Festival with that code, uh, Heartland will send us $2 and it's a huge, like that's, that's a fantastic, um, (laughs) promotion. Um, and it's a great program and they announced their lineup this year and it looks like it's going to be a really great festival. Um, so if you plan on going, please, um, Use the code OBSESS16, and uh, that way we can get a little bit of money from Heartland, and you also save a few dollars if you buy online um, uh, online tickets at, for Heartland. So, once again, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time for our Netflix Picks episodes. And uh, then, then, soon enough, there will be Sharktober in Irvington. <laughs> Alright, well, anyway, uh, thanks guys. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter 
at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.